You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. It's not like in-depth, hard-hitting Barbara Walters type stuff. Right, (laughs) right. It's more like uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. As you know, I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Ben Jude of Analog Outfitters. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thank you. How about yourself? Oh, uh, you know, I feel like I'm just going a million miles an hour uh, sometimes, and it's like, but I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, I know the feeling. Sometimes I I think I walk like a mile and a half in our our little shop factory uh, a day. You know, mm-hmm. all within the same you know couple thousand square feet. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, where where are you guys located at? So we are in downtown Champaign, Illinois. Um, Champaign is where the University of Illinois is, sort of uh, about two hours south ish of Chicago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. Well, before we get into like your musical backstory and all that, why don't you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your company, the products you have, just in case they're not familiar. I'm sure a lot of them will be, but you can kind of give an overview about what it is that you guys do. Yeah, great. Um, so Analog Outfitters, um, we, we've been a company since about 2002, um, for our, until about 2011, uh, we didn't, uh, do any manufacturing. We were strictly a repair center for, you know, like, uh, your guitar amp doesn't work. You bring it to us, we fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were a live sound company too. So we were, you know, fully immersed in the, in the music world, but, uh, not as fabricators. And, um, but that was actually a really, really good move for us because, when you fix thousands of pieces of gear, you know, everything from mixing consoles to, you know, guitar amplifiers, um, you, you really learn about the things, the, the things that you should do as a fabricator and the things that you shouldn't do. And you also learn about what always breaks, you know, cause it was the same things that we were repairing over and over and, you know, what's, what, um, sort of designs, you know, really stand up to the rigors of, of, uh, you know, touring or even just, you know, playing around town. So that was quite an education. Um, and then in 2011, uh, sort of on a whim, just for fun, I, I, uh, we also repair Hammond organs and I had just hundreds of Hammond organ amplifiers and parts around the shop. So I just decided one day to take a, a Hammond organ amp and, and modify it for a guitar. And, um, really had no plan on becoming an amp company at all. It just sort of, I made it and I, I, um, I fired it up and it was like, wow, that sounds really good. I, I'm going to better, I better finish this up. So I was like, I need a case and a faceplate. So I looked around my shop and I found this old sort of random metal, uh, aluminum case that was from old scientific equipment. And, uh, the amp fit in there perfectly. And then I looked around for a faceplate and above my office door, I had a little, 1950s tin sign that said ladies restroom and uh (laughs) i grabbed that and i put it in the box and it fit perfectly like everything just fit perfectly and i thought 
geez, I, I guess I better, you know, I, maybe I should make another one. So I made that first one, and then I, I made a second one, and one of our repair customers, you know, played it and, and bought it. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll make another one. And mm-hmm. and uh, th- this was the amp that we still make called the Sarge. And um, so then basically, you know, after that, uh, my wife is from uh, uh, near Nashville. and We go down there quite a bit. So I thought, you know, I'll just I'll take one of these amps down there and uh, I'll see if, you know, I'll just see if anybody's interested in it. I'll take it to a few music stores. And, uh, well, that turned out to, to be, uh, uh, I was extremely naive, which is actually good because, um, (laughs) I didn't know what I was getting into as far as how competitive it is. So I just called up, you know, and I was like, Hey, you know, my name's Ben. I'd love to bring an amp over. And I called three, three or four places and two said, no, one pretty much said, hell no, you can't bring it in. (laughs) And if you do bring it in, we won't talk to you. And then uh, one place said, yeah, you can bring it in. And I think there was four places. And then the third one said, you can bring it in, but I doubt I'll have time to, to take a look at it. So right. it wasn't a very warm response. But luckily, it it looked unique enough that when I did bring it in, it, it sort of caught their attention. And they're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we'll try it out. And and both both dealers, you know, wanted to become you know, wanted to place an order and become real dealers. And Mm -hmm. of course, though, I hadn't made any others. That was the only other one I had was what I brought them, you know. And so, of course, I didn't, I didn't let on to that. I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll just (laughs) get right on that. You know, it'll probably take us, uh, you know, two weeks. Uh, We're a little backordered right now, Uh, you know, which (laughs) backordered meaning I have parts to order or whatever. So that was how we got our start. Um, Very sort of, you know, it's not like I had a business plan and a whole, you know, marketing plan mapped out to become an amp company. It just, it really just sort of, I just sort of stumbled in it, in into it. Um, and then once, you know, once I was in it, then I got really serious about it as far as making sure we, get, you know, had the best possible amps that we could build. But, you know, sort of stumbled into the business, I guess, a little. Right, right. So, uh, I'm obviously not making too big of an assumption here that you play guitar, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where, well, where does, uh, where did you start playing guitar and then how did it kind of lead you into the initial repair business? Well, you know, that's, that's a good question. It's sort of funny. Um, you know, I didn't start playing guitar until I was about 18 or 19. And then, um, I really sort of dove into it voraciously and just, you know, all my free time went to playing guitar and, and bass. And I just became absolutely fascinated with, you know, playing music. And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I always liked to, um, you know, try to fix things. And I was always, you know, my dad had a workshop and we were always out there building stuff. And I had an old go-kart that I was always working on. And so, you know, I I developed an interest in fixing things. And um, so after, you know, maybe five years of, five, six years of playing guitar, you know, I started to become a little curious about how the gear worked. And so I started, you know, taking things apart and peeking around and seeing, you know, seeing, this was in the days before YouTube. And so I really didn't have a good way other than just books um, to uh, try to learn about you know, how tube amplifiers worked. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, uh, 
basically um, the, the 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 real change for me was when I was about 26. I was a, a graduate student here at the University of Illinois um, in geography. I wanted to be a geography professor, and uh, I decided for fun to um, take this class called the Physics of Music and Musical Instruments, mm-hmm. and uh, I just asked the professor if I could sit in. I didn't want to take it for credit. And the class was all about how vacuum tubes work and speakers and microphones and guitar pickups. And it was like finally that outlet for me to really learn. And uh, I just poured myself into that just wholeheartedly, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I became great friends with the professor who uh, still is a a good friend of mine and uh, just a, a complete you know, electronics genius. And so he sort of took me under his wing and really trained me about everything. Pretty much everything I know comes from this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he trained me um, on, on vacuum tubes and transistors and, and everything and how to repair stuff. And uh, so I opened a little repair business right after I finished my, my master's degree, decided I'd mess around with that for a while before, you know, deciding if I was going to, you know, finish up the PhD and ended up having too much fun as a repair guy and never, never, uh, completed a, a, you know, another degree. So, you know, this is, this was 15 years ago. So, uh, for better or worse, um, I'm not a college professor. <laughs> I, I, went, <laughs> I went the other route. And so, um, th- but this professor, uh, Steve already is his name. He, he he really was instrumental in not only in my training but to this day he helps out with all of our designs so you know i'll get something so far, you know to a certain distance and i'll have a problem i can't figure out you know and he'll come and and help me you know he's like well you know let's try this kind of circuit or that or you know let's try doing this or that and and uh so really couldn't have done it without him and and uh and his generosity uh, as a as a teacher and a friend yeah, that's a that's got to be like crazily helpful to have a resource like that, you know, um, when you're trying to do what you're doing. I just like that's super valuable. A lot of people don't have that, so that's that's super fortunate. Well, and this guy, you know, his um, his day job, you know, as a physics professor, he was part of the uh, the CERN. Um, uh, that's a, a, a particle accelerate, accelerator in Switzerland. Right, he was yes. part of the team that discovered the Higgs boson. So this guy is, you know, you can't get much smarter than this guy. So not only, you know, I had, I had more than a mentor, you know, I had my own like private genius to, to, to tutor <laughs> me along, you know? And, uh, so like I said, it could never have happened, um, without, without his help. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a big part of our, of our, um, of of any success we have, you know, we we definitely give him a, a huge part of the credit. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. So when I I first heard about you guys, probably I'm guessing it was a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. I'm not exactly sure on the time frame, but PGS did some promo stuff for you guys, and that's where I first kind of became aware. Um, and at the time. Uh, it, it was billed as like, you know, everything is, uh, you know, kind of recycled, repurposed type of things. Is that still very much a core of what you're doing? That's a really good question. Uh, and we get that a lot. People people say, well, when are you going to run out of parts? And uh, so basically, you know, the reason that we use um, 
Hammond organ uh, as our raw materials is that, you know, for many years, well, we still are a Hammond organ repair shop and we go out mm-hmm. on service calls and, and we rebuild, you know, Hammond B3s. But during that time of all those years of doing that, you know, 15 years, I, I just would come across hundreds and hundreds of organs where people would be like, oh, you want this? And I'd say no. And they're like, all right, well, we're just going to throw it in the dumpster. You know, like I'd come there to fix their B3 and they'd have three other organs there, you know, that they're getting ready to pitch. And so all these years, I'm like, man, I just got to find something to do with all these raw materials. You know, they've mm-hmm. thrown away all this beautiful wood and these amplifiers. So and because we were a repair shop, we had literally hundreds of amps and, and you know, the, the, the wood from the cases and all this stuff. So basically you know, that's still a part of what we do, uh, to, you know, there's, we've had to make some compromises. Um, for example, uh, some of our chassis, you know, we are having new chassis made. Uh, we have a lot more transformers than we do, um, you know, some of the original Hammond chassis. So we have chassis made by a machine shop, but we still use the vintage transformers. So that would be one change we've made. Um, with our speaker cabinets, uh, we still use wood from the old Hammond organs and and Baldwin and Wurlitzer organs, anything that's good, solid wood. Um, and uh, But, you know, we used to only use vintage speakers. Well, I couldn't get enough good vintage speakers, so we had to go to new speakers. So there's little compromises we've made here and there, um, or <coughs> it's just inevitable. You know, you can only find so many uh, parts. But I should mention just really quickly, we are not damaging or destroying any organs that have sort of commercial value. So we're not tearing apart B3s or, you know, any anything like that. These are organs that you see on Craigslist. Um, right, right. And, and uh, but part of why we do it is because it, it's just a way for us to sort of save these marvelous instruments and and granted they're they're getting turned into something different you know they're not an organ anymore but but they're still a musical instrument you know and and so that's you know I'm a kind of a big environmentalist so that part is important to me seeing seeing how we can take you know something discarded by society and turn it into you know what we like to think of as a truly world class um piece of equipment um, but, mm-hmm. but while you, by, while being creative about our materials, um, right. so, uh, you know, we, we, people sometimes wonder, you know, like, are you, know, when are you going to run out of these, these parts? And the thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is there's tens of thousands of these old organs out there. And we have, I mean, we have, <laughs> if you saw our warehouse in our in our factory i mean we have hundreds and hundreds of them it's just ridiculous but right. you know th- the quality of the wood i mean we're talking half of our stuff is made using redwood you know this is you can't even buy redwood anymore you know from right. california redwood trees and this is all wood that would otherwise have been pitched you know we have mahogany and walnut and maple you know all this beautiful wood the transformers that we use in our amps, you know, particularly the output transformers, they just have this magical sound, kind of like a vintage guitar pickup, you know, that uh, that it just has this extra sparkle to it. So, um, so it's uh, kind of e- e- using these materials make our products better than if we were using brand new materials, and they also make it more interesting for us because we're able to repurpose 
and recycle all these old old materials. For sure, for sure. Are there particular models or uh, that you look out for with each of the brand? Like like you see one and like, ooh, well, I really, that one has a great transformer or that one has a really nice, uh, you know, wooden, sure. not cabinet, but yeah, whatever no, they're well, calling it. Yeah, actually, you know, there are... Um, there are any of the old organs, you know, Wurlitzer or Baldwin, any of them that have tube amps in will, you know, will buy those um, mm-hmm. because they use, if they had a tube amp in up nine times out of 10, the wood they used was really good as well. It wasn't particle board or chip board or, or you know, it was solid, solid wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the, um, but we're, we're pretty flexible, you know, pretty much any Hammond, uh, organ um, that has a tube amp uh, will take. You know, some of them will, uh, you know, have more usable parts than 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 others. Um, the M3 is a really good one, um, and they made just so many of those. Um, so the M3 is a good one, probably our favorite because uh, it's got some just beautiful wood. And the amp we use uh, when we make our road amp, um, we use we use that that amplifier. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, really anything with tubes will, will take it. And, and we've built up quite a, a supply, you know, like we could keep producing amps for, for quite a while with just the inventory we have here. Right. So. Right. Um, are there any solid state ones that have parts that are, you know, usable for what you do? And I kind of asked this, uh, sort of for myself because I I was in that same situation where I got a free organ that someone had sitting on the side of the road. I think it was a Wurlitzer, uh, but it was a it was a solid state one. Maybe it wasn't Wurlitzer. I can't recall exactly what brand it was, but mm-hmm. um it was a solid state one. And then, you know, after I didn't play it for a while, I was like, well, it kind of went to you know, the same thing happened with it. I was like, who wants it? And somebody came and got it. So Yeah. Uh, uh well the Are solid, there solid state, state ones, ones? Yeah. you know, not, not really. Um, the, uh, now I will tell you, there's a few out there that are just have, that are so wacky, um, and, and so cheesy that they're just awesome. Right. Like Hammond, <laughs> we call them the carnival organs. I don't even know why, but usually cause they have all these bright switches and, and, you know, like multicolored little, um, you know, knobs and buttons. And it just looks like something that would be at a carnival. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, anyways, uh, Wurlitzer made one. Um, and I think it was called the fun maker or the fun machine. I, I can't remember exactly, but it was a solid state organ two manual. But then at the top, it had a little analog synth, like a true little analog synth that you could get the craziest noises out of. And oh, wow. it was just sort of magical. And, and we always would laugh because, you know, we would say, so, you know, here's grandma playing her like little Lawrence Welk tunes or whatever, her little <laughs> show tunes. And then she, you know, decides to get crazy and, you know, and, and play on the little mini third keyboard and just, you know, you can get the wackiest tripped out sounds. And we're like, <laughs> what, what were they thinking when they made this thing? So that's, that's kind of, you know, that organ would just be worth keeping it as it is. Uh, mm-hmm. it's they called the fun maker. I can't remember. Um, but, um, you know, really the solid state ones, they, when they went to that, they usually started going to chipboard, you know, they'll have chipboard with a veneer over it. And right. so the second you cut it, it just 
you know, it just sort of falls apart and they're just, there's really not much, um, in the solid state ones, unless you're just going for some cool, crazy tones, like the, the Hammond made one called the, uh, Aurora classic or the colonnade, a perfect carnival organ and mm-hmm. all the drum machine, the cheesy drum machine and <laughs> all the cheesy sounds. I mean, they're actually kind of fun. Um, but not as like a real tone machine, but really just as sort of a goof around. Right. Yeah. That's thing. what this one was. It would just had these terrible drum sounds like, uh, they yeah. were, <laughs> and it actually did have some cool, like, you know, cool organ sounds in it. Um, it was just like, I, I got it thinking, thought I, you know, thought I would just use it all the time and it just kind of sat there. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah. uh, well, I guess somebody else can have it sit there. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, back to uh, your amps and stuff. Um, there's you have a particular a product captain? that that I am super you breaking know, up into. Oh, sorry, can you hear me now? Uh, try try it again. Yeah, can you hear me? Uh, a little better, yeah. Okay, I'm not sure. I can I can hear you fine. I, I didn't uh, I didn't hear anything that. That you can hear me okay? Um, yeah. So back up like 30 seconds. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, well, getting back to your, your, your products, um, you have a particular one that I really enjoyed and I, I really uh, had fun playing it at NAMM, and that's the scanner. And I, why don't you tell people a little bit about that I've, one? I'm still having trouble, trouble hearing you here. Um, I, I haven't moved. I, I don't know if... If it's uh, what's um, going on here? I'm I'm not sure what's going on. It uh, I have good uh, connection on my side, and I can hear you okay. Um, well, that's unfortunate. Um, is it still breaking up pretty bad? Uh, well, um, it it was just when you were talking that it started breaking up. <laughs> Oh, good. Just when you needed to hear what I was okay, saying. Okay, now I can hear you fine. Okay, I don't. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on. Um, I'm in the same spot where I well, normally am. Maybe there's uh, sunspots or something. That could be. It could be something weird like that. But yeah, I'll back up. I can. I can okay. edit that together. So sure. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to like your products and and some of the stuff you guys make. There's one in particular that I was really excited about and had a lot of fun playing at NAM, and that is the scanner. Yes. Um, why don't you kind of give people a rundown of what that thing has going on? Well, that was, um, the scanner was something that I had sort of had in the back of my mind for probably 10 years. Cause as work, you know, working on a Hammond organ, you know, you kind of become pretty familiar with all different parts of it. And, and the one part that was always the most amazing to me was this this part called the vibrato scanner, mm-hmm. and and what it is is it's it's the device that was invented by Hammond in the 30s by Lawrence Hammond as a way to get a true vibrato sound from his organ, and so that would be uh, you know with an actual pitch shifting. Um, effect to it um you know so that it would be you know like a like a leslie speaker when it's spinning the rotors around there is a pitch effect to that because it's kind of like the doppler effect you know as it goes away from you and then comes back towards you you know when it's going away 
the the sound waves are sort of in effect lengthened, and when it's coming towards you, you know, it, in a sense they're they're shortened. So it, it has a a pitch variability to it, and right, and so that was you know he had figured out this way of doing that um, for the organ. And so, and it's the most Rube Goldberg contraption that you have ever seen. It's unbelievable to think that anybody could have invented this. It's it's basically uh, try to think of an easy way to explain it. Um, it's got uh, <laughs> sixteen of these capacitive plates, and it has like an armature that spins around, and it spins another set of plates in between the. The stationary plates and uh, without a picture, I, I, it's it's so hard to explain. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you know, essentially the it, you take the the in the organ, the sound would go into first a delay line, and what that did was it was an inductive uh, in a series of sixteen inductors and resistors um, and capacitors uh, that phase shifted um, the 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 original sound it made 16 copies of the signal each one slightly phase shifted oh gotcha. and so then okay. it would it would you'd pick nine of those um and you would apply them then to uh the these nodes on the scanner gosh this is just going to make no sense t- to the listeners without a picture <laughs> but just think of it as you're shifted your pitch sh- you're you're getting a, a pitch shift from this delay line and then you're applying those shifted signals um, to some stationary points on the scanner. And then when the armature spins around, it picks up capacitively the the tone uh, that's present on each of the different um, uh, capacitive plates. And um, the effect, um, I guess maybe that's the most important thing. What the effect is, is the most beautiful vibrato you've ever heard. And so I'd been working on these and seeing them forever, and I always thought, man, it would be so cool to try to modify that for guitar. And so it took me a year, like literally about a year, and we finally got it to work. There were so many hurdles to overcome. It wasn't even funny. Like the first thing that we decided we had to do was allow you to vary the speed of the motor that spins this armature. Because with the Hammond organ, it was just a one-speed vibrato. And that they just had to do it that way because it was connected to the tone generator. Uh, so in any event, they had a one-speed motor, and and you could kind of vary the tone of the vibrato, but not the speed. So in order to do that, you know, and I wanted to use an expression pedal, or as I call it, a gas pedal, to mm-hmm. speed that motor <laughs> up and down, which would then give you like a Leslie effect, right? Of of it speeding up and slowing down, so it would be like you know, like that. And and I really wanted to be able to do that, and that was incredibly difficult because you can't do that with just any old kind of motor. And let's just say that that was probably one of the biggest hurdles was just finding the right sort of motor and and motor assembly that could do that. Then, you know, we had all these other problems of making sure that it didn't have a bunch of noise. Um, and then we also needed to have switching. So you could, we decided to put spring reverb in there. So you could you could either um, bypass the both effects or you could press a foot switch button and engage the reverb. Or uh, then press another switch on a foot, foot pedal, engage the vibrato. Um, you could just have any combination of vibrato and reverb or just vibrato or just reverb or none of them. That kind of switching was very difficult um, to do 
uh, without um, without having noise or audible clicks or you know there's a lot of routing of signals you know different different places to make that work it was very 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 difficult but um, we got it finally and um, there was probably three or four times when I was sure that I'd encountered a problem that I just couldn't solve and that the project was dead you know I was like yeah I don't think we can solve that and then somehow you know we would figure it out and so um, right. when we finally really, you know, brought it to our first NAM, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was just the original prototype, you know, the, our first working prototype and we didn't have any others. Um, and all of a sudden we got all these orders for them. We were like, oh boy, now we got to figure out how to make these darn things <laughs> and, uh, you know, mass produce them. Not just, you know, it was literally wired up on breadboards, like all the, all the chips and stuff, you know, we haven't oh, had wow. circuit boards because, you know, part of what you do at NAM is, is, is it's like a testing, uh, bed in the sense that, you know, you bring a product there and you, you can gauge our, do people give a darn about it? So before mm -hmm. you go and you make, you know, hundreds of these things, Maybe you, you know, see if you can get some orders from dealers and do people like it? You know, we thought it was cool, but we didn't really know if anybody else really would. And so that, that first NAM that we took it to was our sort of test. Um, and we got great response. So then we moved forward and got the circuit boards designed and built and figured out, you know, the rest of our little production, you know, issues and got a hundred chassis made. Um, you know, ordered all the parts and, um, you know, it didn't take long. It, we went through those first 100 uh, in, you know, about, it was a several months, you know, six or seven, six or seven months or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, for a boutique product that we were thrilled, you know, because you know, they're, they're not cheap and they're not easy to make. They're very labor intensive. And um, so, you know, we've, we've, uh, ordered ordered more boards and and chassis and you know we're we've uh you know well on our way to the next the next batch um so uh it's been a a really remarkable product you know we enclose the whole thing in plexiglass so you can see all the spinning parts and stuff mm -hmm. and that's really key too because it's it's such a beautiful um you know piece of engineering that the Hammond organ company did that i really wanted to showcase that and so oh, for sure uh, you know, it wouldn't have been nearly as cool if it had been, you know, just in a wooden box. So, right, right. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was part of the draw. You know, I was walking by, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember these guys' stuff and looking around at your amps and stuff. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and how do I get my hands on it? Let me play that right now. Um, well, it's so funny. People walk by our booth at NAM and, and it's, it's always, it's it's funny. People absolutely love it, or they or they they hate it. There's really not much in between. You know, it's it's all or nothing. And I, luckily, I don't understand the hate. That doesn't make well, any sense to me at all. There's, there's usually not a lot of. It's just too weird for some people. But but you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's really it's not something that people are generally just sort of like, eh, you know, it's just love it or hate it for better or worse. And so. Mm -hmm people would often walk up to our booth and see all this stuff that we make. And they'd be like, what am I looking at? Like right. literally like, w what am I looking at? And, and we'd go through our little spiel, you know? And, uh, 
you know, and it would, it's just sort of funny, you know, the reactions you get from people, but, um, you know, it's also very inspiring too, when you work so hard and you make these products and then you go to Nam and there's people from all over the world there. And, and if they like your stuff, it's just like, wow, I guess all these late nights and, you know, all this stress and all this hard work, it makes it all feel worthwhile. So, um, you know, Nam has been, has really been key for us. Um, it's so expensive you know, it's like ten thousand dollars for, you know, for us to go. Right. Um, I mean, pretty much any way you slice you know? it, right? Like, there's not way to do it for cheaper than that. Is kind of what I get from people. Um, say, unless say you again. share booths or what. Um, it just seems like any way you slice it, it's going to be ten grand, unless you're like yeah. sharing booths. Yeah. It 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 is. I mean, you got to get out there and you got to ship your stuff there, which is really difficult. You know, they don't make it easy. Uh, for you and um, you know the one in Nashville is much easier so if there's you know if there's some sort of startup companies out there that are listening and they're thinking about doing a NAM I would really recommend doing the the summer NAM in Nashville first it's just much more it's it's you know a third of the price you know partly for us because we can drive there but it's it's much cheaper and it's more manageable and it's it would be like a good way to sort of get your feet wet we didn't do that we our first time we went you know to la and and we were completely overwhelmed um (laughs) but we did we did well we got a lot and you know that's where we've gotten all of our international dealers we have maybe i don't know 10 or 12 i I should know exactly somewhere around that uh international dealers and they've all come from nam um you know uh, from winter nam in, in in la you know we so that's it's been it's been great. Very cool. Very cool. So how many NAMs have you been to at this point? Uh, I think we've been to three winters, and uh, last year was our first summer NAM, and we're, we're going again this year. But we actually, in some ways, liked the summer NAM better because it's so much more manageable, and uh, it's you know it's got to be one fiftieth of the size. And so you can actually go and see all the booths and... Um, Plus, you know, Nashville is really, really kind of our best place in the world for our products. Um, somehow, the country guys have really taken a liking to our amps, and so we have all these these artists down in Nashville, these country artists that that play our our, our stuff, mostly studio musicians. Mm-hmm. And so it's a chance for us to you know get met up, get you know to meet up with all these different artists and 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 kind of see everybody. Um, you know, over, over one weekend, you know, and, uh, so Nashville's been, been very good to us. Very cool. So let's see, you were talking about something today that was pretty interesting. Uh, you're taking a scanner to Apple. Is that right? Oh yeah. (laughs) On Tuesday. Yeah. They, they ordered one to use in their, um, uh, sound production lab. They have a whole bunch of them but one of one of the labs and they make uh you know sounds for apps and ringtones and you know anything that that needs a sound and so these studios I haven't been there yet I'm going next week but these studios have um you know a whole production suite and all different instruments and synths and everything you know anything a recording studio would have and so yeah one of the people in charge of one of the labs there said hey you know we'd like to get one and and uh, we said, okay, can we deliver it <laughs> and, right. and get a tour? And they said, yes. So 
Um, I'm going to use it as an excuse to go visit a couple of other dealers out there that we've been working on. And, uh, so I'll get to, you know, drop it off there and, and then, uh, go visit, uh, you know, a couple of dealers in the Bay area and, uh, then come back. So it'll be a, a couple of, a two day trip to the West coast. So my All big right. vacation. <laughs> That's cool though. I, man, I, when you kind of, I didn't even think about that place existing mm-hmm. um that they would have a, a facility like that but i mean of course they do and i bet that would be a really fun job to work there <laughs> yeah i can only imagine i i uh i'm really interested in, in seeing getting to see the place a little bit and um you know it's you know everybody knows that company and and you know so many of us have their products it'll just be kind of fun to get to get you know to, to actually like go inside and you know, see what it's like. For so. sure. For sure. Did you do a special uh, uh, look to it? Does it have like an Apple theme of some sort or did you just you know, do we, what you do? We made it, we made it white um, mm-hmm. and we definitely added some special features to it. Um, we added uh, LEDs that light up the gla- the plexiglass. If you, if you, we figured out if you run an LED and you, it, it sort of, the plexiglass sort of bends the light. And it mm-hmm. makes the whole thing glow. So we have these beautiful, like, purple and, and red LEDs that you can, like, you know, they're not gaudy and flashing. It's just, like, you can turn it on and backlight the whole thing. Uh, and, right. and, either, and you can switch between two colors. Then we did some engraving on the – we had the um, the plexiglass engraved with some stuff. And it, it, it's definitely will be the fanciest one we've, we've made, you know, but – Nice. Um, yeah. So. Well, you got to get uh... – you got to get a picture of that and post it up so I can take yeah, a look at it. Absolutely. Well, it'll be on our on our uh, Instagram and Facebook page and our website and stuff. Um, you know, before it, uh, we'll get some we'll get some good pictures of it. And um, you know, we're we're using this this particular scanner as a chance to develop some things that we've been wanting to, like these LEDs. You know, and mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, we do a lot of custom projects for people. And that's sort of, we always try to think of it as like a paid prototype uh, in the sense that, you know, somebody's paying you to do it um, and it's helping defray the costs of, you know, the engineering that goes into figuring out some of these things. Right. They almost always break even or lose money on these on these custom, you know, one-off projects, you know, or I shouldn't say always, but often um, because you're you're solving problems as you build them. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, uh, you know, if we, anytime we do something special like that, if, if we break even, it's a great success because we've now learned how to do it. And then we can incorporate that into, you know, any future models that we, that we produce like that. Right. And we've figured it out. So. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. But, you know, developing a product is just so much more work than I ever would have thought, you know, there's so many things that go into it. And, you know, you, I think a lot of people just assume that boutique amp companies are just, you know, their prices are so high and they're just gouging people and all this, you know, I don't, I, I can tell you it's not true for, from, from, for us. Um, and I doubt it's true for, for most of the others. I mean, if you're make if you're hand building amps, it's just going to take a lot of time and, you know, and it's not a robot making them, you know, it's a, it's a person sitting down, wiring them all up 
And uh, so they're just always going to be more expensive. But, you know, when you design a product, you have to try to make it so that um, pe- that it stands out because there's so much competition, but that it's truly a remarkable product. And, right. um, and I don't like to have our stuff be too expensive because I want to be able, guys like me, to be able to afford our gear. You know, like um, not just the famous artists, not just the lawyer musicians. And that's a term we use around here for, you know, people that have had a good career as a lawyer or a doctor or something. They've made their money and now they can afford to have some cool gear. Um, right. Like the rock like, doctors and the blues lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and um, you know, I also want the guys who are, you know, uh, up and coming you know, in up and coming bands or, or garage bands or people just playing in their basement. Like I want them to, to, to at least be as affordable as possible to those people. And, and, you know, you never can, you, you never can compete with the mass produced stuff, but we try to, we try to be as reasonable as we can with our, with our prices and, and still survive, you know? So right. uh, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's a hard balancing act, but you know, yeah, because it does take so much time and effort. You know, it's like you don't want to do that for free, but yep. you know, at the same time, you don't want to rip people off either. So, right? Yeah, pricing is a pricing is something I've talked about with with a lot of people, and it's a it's kind of like people don't realize how difficult setting a price on something can be because it's just like, oh yeah, I want I want it to be you know I got to make money on it, but you know. I don't want to rip people off, you know, it's just, well, and you want people to want to buy it and not go, yeah. Oh, that's overpriced. But you know, it's, well, it's really you tough. Can, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble by underpricing because you, you, um, I mean, and this has happened to us with some of our products where, you know, you, you, if you say, okay, I can build this amp in 15 hours, you know, and I'm paying this guy X dollars to make it. So, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you try to figure this out. There's always so much more that goes into it. Like you still have to pay for your electricity and your insurance for the building. You know, you mm-hmm. have your workman's comp insurance, you know, you have, uh, all these different things that are, you have to add in, you know? And I think when we were first making our, our Sarge amplifier, you know, we were, I think they were selling for seven ninety nine in the, mm-hmm. in the stores. And, wow. um, and you know that was probably fine because we sold quite a few of them. Um, but it didn't take very long to realize that you know we were we were making just about zip on that. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so you know we've had to bump them up. I think now um, now they are. I should know all of our prices by heart. <laughs> now they sell for eleven ninety nine. So you know they've gone up a lot, but they've just they just had to. You know we just couldn't couldn't survive. Um, you know, without it. And, you know, the price increase has, um, I, I, you know, it's, I think people have been pretty, pretty understanding, you know, they, they know we're yeah. just, we're trying to be reasonable. Uh, and, and our stuff is still quite a bit cheaper than a lot of boutique manufacturers. And I think partly because sometimes, um, you know, where we're located is not a particularly expensive place. You know, it's not like we're in New York City with right. crazy rents and, you know, all this stuff or, you know, San Francisco or something, you know, we're in Champaign, Illinois. So we, we have an affordable place to have our building and, um, you know, the cost of living here is pretty reasonable. So that, that really helps us keep our costs, you know, keep our costs pretty reasonable. Of course, of course. 
Yeah, and going back to the pricing thing too is like it's well, you mentioned it's it's a uh, you can price too low and it'd be very de detrimental. Sometimes that affects you know this is kind of getting more into like marketing stuff, but sometimes that affects people's perception of the product too. You know, if you're used oh, to yeah. a, a you know for like a boutique pedal for example, and if you're used to it costing two hundred dollars, and you see one for one thirty, and you're like, well, why is that thing one thirty? Is it not yep. as good? You know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it might be just fine, but it's a it's a weird perception thing where people get locked into things yep. costing a certain price point um, mentally, even if you don't realize you, that you do. So yeah, it's it's absolutely true, you know. And I I I don't even like to think about that that part of it because it it you can just chase yourself around in circles forever. And uh, so we just you know, we just try to put our stuff at a fair price that we, you know, and we can survive and, 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 and call it a day. And, mm -hmm. and if our, you know, and the th when it comes down to it, if our stuff is good enough, it'll sell. And if it's not good enough, people won't buy it, you know, <laughs> right. And there, you know, there's always more to it than that. You know, you got to market it properly and you got to this and you got to that. But, but really ultimately if, you know, it's kind of like, a band like if you don't have good songs or if you're not if you're not tight like no amount of marketing is really gonna take you it can take you only so far ultimately you have to be able to you know produce a, a, a quality product and um that part we're we're quite good at you know um in the sense that you know we really know how to make something durable that sounds really good and, you know, is of a reasonable cost to people. But, you know, where our weakness is, is the marketing, because I, I'm not a marketing guy. I'm, I just want to build awesome stuff and just let the world figure it out from there. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, we have done no marketing at all, other than having a Facebook page. And, you know, we've got 25 dealers and that that's great. But, you know, we're kind of at this point now where we're um, we need to kind of go to the next level. Um, and I don't mean that we're going to try to be a huge company. I just mean that we are having to professionalize ourselves in some mm -hmm. ways just to to to, you know, to be organized as a business and and, you know, keep our dealers happy. So we actually just hired our first um, marketing, you know, whiz this young woman who's uh, 25 and uh, she's doing all of our artist relations and our marketing. And it's great to see what she's been able to do already. You know, it's just getting the word out, getting the right word out, you know, conveying to the world, you know, who we are. And it's not even like we're doing magazine ads and stuff. It's just like Instagram and Facebook, but just trying mm -hmm. to have a more consistent message and, and, you know, try to keep, keep, uh, you know, keep up with our artists and make sure that they feel like they're, um, you know, that we're taking care of them and, and that they, that they're important to us and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. I mean, really what the, the marketing aspect is all about is letting people know you exist, letting them know who you are as a company and what you stand for. And then they'll decide, you know, yep. but you have to be in front of people, otherwise they don't even know you're there. That's the yeah. that's the problem. That's uh, that's the problem. We've always relied on our dealers to do that for us. You know, we're like, well, we'll just let the dealers like they'll be the face of the of the company, and you know, and that's worked so far, at least to a certain extent. But 
you know, you you have to. We've learned that we need to support our dealers by making sure that we're, you know, doing doing our part, you know, from a mm-hmm. marketing perspective. And and you get some super dealers, you know, like Chicago Music Exchange. Well, yeah, and and Humbucker, you know, those are two of our dealers, and and they do a really really good job of helping, you know, helping to market our product. But you know, um, not all of our dealers have that kind of a marketing budget. So so we need to make sure that we're supporting you know, some of our best dealers are our little moms and pop shops, you know, and, and we need to make sure we're doing good marketing just, you know, to support them. So. Right. Yeah. It's, that's a subject I could kind of get nerd out on. Cause like a lot of what I do is based around trying to get people to listen to the show. Well, sure. yeah, people have to know it exists in order to listen to the show. So that's a big aspect of what, what I do. And, uh, I think to some people it can be kind of a, a uh, a dirty word to a degree, but really, if it's done properly, it's actually a very good and enjoyable thing for everybody involved, yeah. in, including a- the people absolutely. being marketed to. Yeah, because uh, they get something; they either get to purchase something or get to in- interact with something that they actually want to. Yeah, you know, interact with. So, well, and especially you know, in the music business, you know, we're not selling microwave ovens. You know, we're not selling a commodity that people don't really care about. You know, we're not selling you know, you know, just, just pick anything that, that you kind of have to have, you know, deodorant, you know, right. nobody gets excited <laughs> about buying deodorant. I mean, it's important. We all need it, but it's not something that people are really passionate about, but you know, no. the music business, that's all it is, is passion, you know? And, and so the, really it's gotta be a, uh, this, this woman that works for us, she just loves it here because she's getting to market to people who already like our our product. She's not having to really convince them like, you know, our toothpaste is better because it has, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just, uh, she can be so much more subtle. You know, it's not really about telling people bye, bye, bye. It's just about saying, Hey, this is what we do. And this is why we do it. And you know, if people like it enough and it's good enough, they'll buy it. And if not, well, then that tells us something too, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you got the scanner and you got, you know, a couple different models of amps. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other products in the pipeline that you are all jazzed up about or are, can yeah. reveal or, well, you know, the, the thing about new products is that I never have a shortage or I shouldn't, I shouldn't just say I, we as a company, mm-hmm. um, and there's, um, I always lose track of how many people we have, seven or eight, um, right around there. Uh, we as a company never have a shortage of, um, of ideas for new products. Um, and the, the, the problem is figuring out how to finance the, the R and D to bring them into fruition. You know, if, if suddenly, you know, I had some super investor and they gave me, you know, some big wad of cash and, and said, go develop a bunch of products. I mean, I got a three ring binder full of cool stuff to build. Right. It's just, a, it's just a matter of, um, picking the right ones and doing it in a way that, you know, you can, you can, you can, um, finance it, uh, you know, sort of internally from existing product sales. And that's, that's tough to do. But with that being said, we will, be an unveiling a combo amp at summer nam um we we unveiled sort of one last uh winter nam it was just sort of like a test uh just to kind of see what people thought of it 
Was that um, the one you were standing outside the airport with? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's made out of uh, road signs. It's a really cool little single 12, 15-watt uh, amp, you know, made out of, because uh, we have a whole road sign thing that we do called our road amp. And it's yeah. literally, we take old road signs and we use a sheet metal shear and a, a brake, a press brake, which is how mm-hmm. you bend sheet metal. And we bend them into these enclosures and they're just the, they're just really neat because it's, you know, these, these road signs are super tough and strong and uh, they make just really funky uh, enclosures for amps. So we have this head that we've been making for a few years called the road amp. And so we decided to make it into a combo. So we made the whole, you know, the whole case of the combo amp out of a road sign. And uh, so, you know, it was kind of just a test. And, um, you know, we're, we're still tweaking with that, you know, trying to, to get it to sound right because of, the, you know, an all-metal enclosure is a little bit of a challenge. Right. And so um, we, uh, as we refine that one, we're re- um, we are going to have a... Uh, amp it's it's the prototype's all done sounds uh even better than we were hoping so it'll be a 30 watt uh amp single 12 in a in a um wooden enclosure sweet Um, so we'll have that um we're working on a stereo scanner um so we're we're thinking of calling it the super scanner we haven't quite (laughs) decided yet that is really going to be cool you know because We've we've taken two scanners and and plugged you know a guitar you know into you know like a little splitter and then gone into two scanners into two amps into two speaker cabinets yeah and it is the trippiest sound like it, you're almost dizzy listening to it you know and especially you start putting a delay like a ping pong delay into <laughs> yes. these two, stereo vibrato it is the thickest richest most badass sound and i've only played it like that a few times and i was like we got to figure out how to how to make this in in one enclosure and it's it's pretty tough you know uh it's probably going to be another year before that's done but i think i think we know how to do it um and so but you know there's always you know if you think it's going to take you 100 hours you might as well you know, uh, budget 300 hours because right. there's always <laughs> these little engineering things that come into effect that you just, you know, you didn't realize you were going to have this one oscillation or this kind of noise or, you know, whatever the, the issue is, you know, it's just, it's uh, a lot harder than I ever thought to develop a new product. So, right. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, let's see here. We're getting close to the end. Uh, let's, uh, Let's do a couple. Let's just do one more. And it's a question that um, you, you, if you haven't listened to the show, Ben, which I don't think you have, this may catch you off guard a little bit. But the listeners will understand. And, Got uh, it. I've asked this question to, to – I don't ask it to everybody, but I've asked it many times um, and to some very notable people in the gear industry, I should add. But uh, So here you go. Ben, what kind of pizza do you like? Ha! <laughs> Oh, I love it. That is a that is a great question. Well, you know, uh, I have kids. I have a, a seven and a ten year old, and so um, there's a fair amount of pizza that comes through our house. Right. And uh, it is we we battle back and forth because they want Papa John's. They just like this, you know, crappy. No offense to <laughs> to Mister Papa John if he's listening, but you know they just like the sort of mass marketed fast food grade pizza, which I yeah, can't yeah. stand. You know, of I course. like. 
we have a little local place called Manzella's, a little Italian restaurant, family-owned. And they just make the best thin crust pizza mm. with lots of oregano on it. And, uh, you know, as far as ingredients, uh, it's pretty hard to beat uh, sausage and mushroom or just pepperoni. Um, so, but, you know, I pretty much eat I pretty much eat any kind of pizza that's made well. Right, right. Yeah, I like I I tend to lean towards the thin crust like wood-fired Italian styles myself. That Yeah. If I if I had to pick one, that would be that would be where I would go. So I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that. Um Cool. Yeah, the Papa John's, you know, well, they'll grow up. You know, it'll be fine. Sure. <laughs> your kids will be fine. Don't worry about it. Well, I, let me say to your to your listeners, you know, if any of anybody wants to um come visit us at Summer Nam, you know, please please come visit our booth. Uh we're very friendly people. At least we, we like to think we're very friendly. And uh, you know, we we love meeting uh customers or just other gear enthusiasts. So, you know, please please come by and say hi if you're there. Usually Summer Nam is open to the public. Uh, one one of the days. So, right. Um, oh, here I thought you were going to ask the listeners to come bring you pizza. If you, that's well, where I thought you were going. They can do that too. They can do that too. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah. Right on. Well, yeah, we uh, we are pretty much at the end here. So why don't you go ahead and plug where everyone can find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, analogoutfitters.com. Uh, you can find us, um, and, uh, we have a Facebook page and Instagram and all that stuff. I don't even know what our Instagram page is because I'm, I'm, uh, sort of not a super techie, but my marketing person has it up and running. And, uh, so <laughs> when, when anyway. I announce it on Instagram, you'll be tagged. So people Great. will see that. Okay, good. Um, so, you know, all the technology I specialize in is uh, vacuum tubes and uh, op amps. So I don't do a lot of uh, computer processing. Well, so those little, are cooler anyway. Yeah. So anyways, um, but yeah, they can find us, uh, you know, check us out at our website. And, you know, we love hearing from people. Um, feel free to call the shop, you know, or uh, send us an email. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's always fun to interact with our customers. It's one of our one of our highlights. Right on. Well, that's great. So I'll put uh, the link to that in the show notes, everybody. So you can click over to their website and check it out. And uh, yeah, good times. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yes. All right. For Ben, I'm Blake. And as usual, people, good luck and good tones. I was struggling to come up with something else to plug at the end of these episodes, so I decided this would be a good one for you to get a look behind the scenes, or a listen rather, of the just pure exciting stuff that comes along with running your own gear blog and podcast. So today, we're filtering through spam comments. Let's check this one. This one was uh, left by, a, I'm sure, who is a super fan of the show. Uh, a man named Hair Removal Cream. Uh, and he has, a, he has a nice long link here to his website, but we probably won't go in there today. Um, uh, it's just probably not going to fly with the time frame because there's a 77 um, possible spam comments to filter through here. So 
Um, simply desire to say your article is as astonishing. The clarity on your put-up is simply nice, and I can assume you are knowledgeable in this subject. Fine with your permission, allow me to grab your RSS feed to keep updated with coming near-near post. Thank you a million, and please keep up the rewarding work. So that's just some of the uh, exciting behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't necessarily get to see. So, um, if you would like me to keep reading spam comments and uh, throwing them in the garbage so you don't have to look at them, I would love an iTunes review, because iTunes reviews bring more people to the show, and therefore the show grows. Everyone benefits from that. So, if you could leave an iTunes review, because... There are several thousand of you who are listening who haven't left an iTunes review. That would be fantastic. So thank you very much for listening. Tell all your friends, and I'll talk to you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.